have my dear sweet friend Vivian here today, uh, and she brought a friend Katie. So um, we've known them for years and years, and she was just saying that um, we actually knew them when they, her and her husband first met. And then we got to kind of live life together when I lived in Dallas for a long time. And then we moved away and we started having kids. And then um, we got to line up and have my third and fourth and her first and second kids at the same time. So um, thankful for dear sweet friends who love you and support you. So, okay. So today is my oldest child's birthday. Elijah turns nine. And my husband and I got super sad when he uh, pointed out that in turning nine, that that is half of his 18 years that he'll live at home with us. Cry face. Um, But nine years ago today, uh, maybe, (laughs) maybe, (laughs) Um, that's truth speaking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And now that sounds pleasant, then it might not. (laughs) Um, But nine years ago today, at 1.33 in the afternoon, my world changed. Um, I held this baby for the first time in my arms, and I had never loved anything like I love this child. Sorry, (laughs) it's his birthday. Um, And whenever someone is pregnant with their first child, I always just get this excitement. And um, it's just this excitement for the whole process. But then this excitement for what you know that they're going to learn about God. (laughs) How it will be used to expand their view of God. This love that we have for our children It's a fierce love. It's a go-to-battle-for-them love. It's a wipe-their-tears love. It's a snuggle-on-the-couch love. It's an all-in, you-are-mine kind of love. And if we get to taste that as parents, it is supposed to give us a taste of what God's love for us is like. We can see we love like this and we're earthly parents. How much more is God's fatherly love for us? So let's pray real quick and then we'll dive in. We call you father and you adopt us as your child. You call us daughter. We have your fierce, your loyal love, your care about every tear, your all-in, we are yours, love. Help us more and more to trust you as a good father. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is one of those passages that I think it's really easy to get bogged down in. And it's really easy to get bogged down in some of the details. So what I want to try to do is keep helping us to look at the big picture, to keep kind of taking a step back. And I think the important part about this chapter is that it comes after chapter 11. It comes after the last two weeks, which were all about faith. 
we have uh, Hebrews 11.2, which says, By faith, we understand. We can only understand God if we come to him with faith. By faith, we understand. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Abraham. By faith, all of these characters of the Bible last week we saw, they believed that God was who he said he was, and they walked in their lives based on that. By faith, the wall of Jericho fell down. By faith, these great battles were won. By faith, justice was enforced. Promises were obtained. The mouths of lions were stopped. And I love this one. By faith, their weakness was made strength. By faith, we must live. And by faith, we must come to the truths of Scripture that are hard to understand. We have to come to God with open hands of faith to let it be okay when we don't even understand. Uh, I think this chapter opens wanting us to see ourselves as surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, surrounded by the patriarchs of the faith who would, their witness, their testimony to us would be, by faith, I ran the race the Lord had for me. It's the only way they could do it was by faith. And then their message to us is, by faith, you can run the race the Lord has for you. You can do it. You can persevere. You can endure. But you have to start by faith. Chapter 11 laid out some of their unique stories. And now we turn to chapter 12, and we're in the Hebrews story. And we get to come into their story specifically, and we're also supposed to stop and think about our own story and see how it plays out. But as the case is normally for the Hebrews, and then for us as well, it's a lot easier to hear about other people's sufferings and other people's hardships and how they overcame with faith and say, yay for you. Think of the McCartys. It's a lot easier to cheer the McCartys on and see them trusting in faith and be amazed and in awe and say, yay. It's harder to be the McCartys. <laughs> and by faith, step by step, trust God. So chapter 12 gets real personal for the Hebrews. It goes from these other people did it to you do it. And it gets real hard real fast because um, it's about how they themselves are going to live their lives today. And we, we have to remember their situation was not easy. They were under great stress, under great persecution. And in this chapter, we learn new information. In verse 1, they have this weight and this sin which clings so closely. They have a race that requires endurance. They have drooping hands and weak knees. And they have a lameness that needs to be healed. 
Now, theologically, you may have talked about this some in your small groups, but theologically we have to realize that there is something unique that is happening in this passage. An apostle is writing this letter specifically to the Hebrews, inspired by God, and he is giving them special revelation. He is telling them the exact situation that they find themselves in. And it's more of a behind-the-scenes reality of what's really taking place. So he's telling them that this hardship that they are going through is a result of the discipline of God. So they have a very specific situation and an apostle telling them this specific situation is the discipline of God. And this chapter is almost like a mini book of Job where you get to see behind the curtains. You get to pull the curtains back and see what's really taking place in the heavenly realms and what the real story behind their current suffering is. But it is unique because just like the book of Job, they have a prophet or an apostle who is telling them how they should view this situation. So we fast forward almost 2,000 years to you and to me, and we don't have our own book of the Bible, the Fort Worthians. Um, We don't have someone, a prophet or an apostle, who has the authority to tell us and speak for God what our current situation is. We don't, we are not yet, we are not able to hear from God the behind the curtains heavenly reality of our situation. So I think that the discipline of God is so important to ponder, so important to consider, so important to learn to grow to love, but we have to be really careful to understand our limitations in speaking about it, in thinking about it, in processing it. It was for God to tell the Hebrews that this was his discipline. And we have to be careful to not presume that we know definitively, even in our own lives, but in the lives of others or in the world at large, when something is the discipline of God or when something is an attack of Satan, or when something is a consequence of the fall, or a natural consequence of sin. So I think this chapter should have like a warning sign to handle with care. Um, This chapter is not saying that all suffering is the discipline of God. It is not saying that to you today. It is not saying your suffering today is the discipline of God. It is saying that we should understand God in a way that sees him as a father who loves his children so much that he enters into their lives and brings discipline when he deems it necessary. It can be easy sometimes to get so distracted by life that we don't see the sin that clings. 
that we don't see the burdens we carry. We can get used to the shoulder and the elbow and the knee that hurt. We can get used to the lameness that we have and not even realize that our hands are drooping and our knees are weak. But God sees that. And not only does he see, but he cares. Uh, We were driving on Camp Bowie on Sunday night, and there was a man standing on the side of the road with a sign, and it said, Just Hungry. And um, I reached into my purse and was trying to dig for some snacks. But we were in the middle lane, and then the light turned green, and a baby was crying, and we just drove on. I cared, but I didn't turn the car around and make sure he got fed. Now imagine if I got a text from one of my friends that said, just hungry. You better believe I would go get my car right then. I would drive straight to the grocery store. I would fill up my cart and I would take them a whole load of groceries. Now then, think if it was my child, just hungry. That is the heart of this passage. God reminds us that we are his children. Verse 4, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And if we are his children, he cares and he is an involved parent. Uh, You could look to many other places in the Bible that tell us lots of things about the fathership of God. This is not the only section that you would look to to see what it means that God is a father. We are told that it brings, he brings grace and peace as part of his fatherhood, that he provides all good gifts that were led by the Holy Spirit, that were given new life in Christ, and much, much more. But this passage is talking to these people who are in this very specific struggle right now against sin and who all they want is for their circumstances to change. All they want is for the persecution to stop. And right now, he has a word for them. He wants, as their father, to enter into that and to help them to see that it is his love when he gives the gifts and it is his love when he brings the discipline. The love and discipline are from the same loving father. (laughs) The love and the discipline. (laughs) No, no, you're cute. Um, uh, (laughs) Okay, so I think as... um, Part of this passage, and maybe uh, you sh- maybe you will realize that you are the same way. But I realize that I kind of view myself as an adult child of God, um, not really a child still living in the home, being disciplined kind of child of God. I I'm a, I'm at least at college, right? Like I don't have a curfew. Um, And so this has been a bit of a shift when I realized 
I'm not an adult child of God. I'm not an away at college child of God. I'm a being parented, being trained, being disciplined, toddler, young adult, or young, young child, child of God. And if I'm honest, that's kind of hard. That kind of, you know, the pride, it kind of takes your pride and exposes it. And I love the loved part and the received part, but not so much the disciplined part or the chastised part. And I don't think the Hebrews are liking it very much either. Um, So our author is trying to help us to see why this is a good thing. But I think it takes a lifetime of faith to grow to love this part of God. As an aside, and I'll just say, because I think it's always important to mention, I struggle with this idea, and I had an earthly father whose discipline was as it seemed best, and in looking back on it, I can say that I respect it. I think there can be an even greater struggle for many of us who had earthly fathers where when they look back on it, there is no respect. <laughs> it did not end in respect. And I'm, I'm so sorry if that's your story. That, that's a hard story because you have to overcome this view of a father that is false, that is illegitimate. The text even uses that word, illegitimate. There are illegitimate sons, but there are illegitimate fathers. Uh, who teach us the wrong thing. (laughs) And God wants to reteach us (laughs) what is a father. And um, that is not the type of father that God would compare himself, just as he would not have us compare ourselves to illegitimate children whose fathers don't parent them. He wants us to be children who want a father that parents them. And um, when the Lord disciplines, we see in this passage that it is always for our good. It yields peaceful fruit and it results in healing. Part of being a child is accepting what the parent says. And I know for my four children, this is a very hard part of being a child. It is hard to accept that the parent's way is the way we will go. So part of our journey as believers is more and more accepting the authority of God and finding peace and comfort and security in that and not confinement. For many of us, we find confinement in that. His authority is restrictive. But over a lifetime, he will want to show us that it is actually our freedom, that it is actually our peace, that it is actually our place of safety. And the only way that we're going to be able to enter into that is by faith with the help of Christ. Matthew Henry says, our whole life here is a state of childhood. Which is kind of fun. You get to always be Peter Pan. (laughs) Um, I do real quick want to make an important distinction 
between discipline and judgment. In Christ, our sins are forgiven, and any judgment that our sin deserves is placed upon Christ. So discipline can never be viewed as someone sins and then they get what they deserve. That's judgment. That's what Christ bore for us. Discipline should more be seen as the sense of someone sins. God sees their sin. God sees how much their sin hurts them. And he brings about a situation or allows a situation to free them from their sin. That's what we see here. Discipline is freeing from sin, not punishing for sin in a judgment sense. We have to let the text tell us what discipline is. We have to believe it's for our good. We have to believe it will yield peaceful fruit. We have to believe that it will be painful and that it will bring healing to the lameness. So when we are suffering, how should we process it? I think one of the things that we have to do is trust. Trust that God had, if he had thought it was necessary for us to know if something was discipline or if something was um, a result of the fall, he would have made a way for us to know that. He does not think it is necessary for us to know the exact reason for our suffering the exact cause for our suffering. That is not necessary for us today. And um, in the book of Job, you see his friends were convinced that it was because of his sin. And they were wrong. The way we analyze situations is (laughs) is not always accurate. So be very careful with even analyzing your own situation um, and, and determining what you think yours is for sure. We trust that God is sovereign over it. Either way, either way, God is sovereign over it. And I think you see in Job and you see in this chapter, what you're supposed to have is a willingness to go through it. Because it comes from the hand or is allowed by the hand of a father who loves you. And you see in Romans and then you see here, what's the result of both? Whether it's an evil attack or a discipline. The result of both is God works your good in it. So when you're in suffering, you look for the good that is coming. The suffering will bring good. And I think you also try to have a teachable spirit. Lord, show me all that you would have me to learn in this. Help me turn away from any sin. Repent. Be willing to search your heart and look for any sin that is within. Draw closer to God. Be drawn towards greater holiness. Be be drawn toward greater trust. 
and be willing to trust that it's okay that you don't know why. I think that's the hardest part. To be willing to trust that it's okay that I don't know why. One day we will know, but for now, we're left with, by faith, run the race that is set before you. Okay, one other main point. We're just going to do one other thing real quick, and that is I want us to focus our attention in on today is the importance of looking to and considering Jesus. John Piper has a quote that... um, has kind of been rocking my world. And it says, one of the most remarkable capacities of the human mind is the capacity to direct its own attention to something it chooses. We can pause and say to our minds, think about this and not that. We can focus our attention on an idea or a picture, or a problem, or a hope. It is an amazing power the Bible calls us again and again to use this remarkable gift. So our passage today, it does this numerous times. It calls us to look to Jesus, to consider him. Verse 3 reads, Consider him who endured such hostility against himself, so that... You may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, hostility from sinners was the Hebrews situation. So they were to consider how Jesus endured hostility. But whatever your situation is, you can consider Jesus within it. So let's say that your situation today is physical pain. Consider Jesus. Consider him on the cross. Consider his beatings. Consider the thorns being pressed into his brow. Look to his pain, consider his pain, and draw strength. See that he endured pain with faith and with trust. So his strength, his faith, can become my strength and my trust. Or maybe your situation is sadness or loneliness. Consider the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, "My Jesus says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And all he wanted his disciples to do was to stay awake, but they kept falling asleep and leaving him to suffer alone. Loneliness. Jesus knew it. He knew sorrow He knew sadness. He knew loneliness. So consider him. Look to him. See that he understands your pain. And let that be a source of comfort and sustaining for you. You hear over and over the power of positive thinking. And that's one of those where it's a grain of truth, but then the world takes it and distorts it just enough that it gets all messed up. But uh, we have to be more specific. It's not just happy thoughts. But we see there is power in Christ thinking. Think on him. Think about Christ. The power of Christ thinking, the power of truth thinking, the power of faith thinking, the power of directing our minds to the things of God is true and great and powerful. 
So my sweet husband, a few weeks ago, uh, he came to me and um, he was having us brainstorm about ways for me to get a break. And he's not really done this very often. And so I thought it was sweet, but I was a little suspicious. Um, So basically, as the conversation is continuing, and I'm pushing, 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 as I can do. um, Basically, uh, it's... He comes out and he says, well, you just seem really beaten down (laughs) of late. And like when I get home from work, you are just done. And you seem more stressed than normal. I'm just a little bit worried about you. So I thought maybe we should brainstorm some ways to get you a break. And when he said it, I felt that conviction like a ton of bricks. I was letting myself just get stuck in my circumstances. I was focusing on the fact that the race is hard, (laughs) that the race is tiring. And I was not continuing hour after hour, step after step to look up, to let Jesus speak into my circumstances so I read this book. It's, I'm not necessarily recommending it. it. It's a secular parenting book called Listening So Your Kids Will Talk and Talks, Talking So Your Kids Will Listen. But it's basically really trying to leave room to let your kids express the hard things in their life. So I've really been trying to do this, leave room for the kids to express the, the hard parts of their lives. Uh, and I have one child with <laughs> that we've been doing this. I've been allowing and entering into this more, but all they were ever doing was expressing the heart more and more. So I, I left room for expressing the heart and ooh, filled the room with all the heart. And um, so telling them, you know what? I really want to hear that. I really want to enter into that. I want you to feel free to be able to express that to me. But we had to have the conversation But there's an important next step that's supposed to happen. You're supposed to come to mama and express how awful this situation is. And then you take the next step of considering and looking up to Jesus with that hard situation. How would he have you to process this? How might he be working in this? How can he give you strength to endure this? And I think that that's what we each have to do day after day, month after month, year after year. And sometimes we are. We're going to get stuck like the Hebrews here are. They're stuck. And like me a few weeks ago where I was stuck. And your hands are drooping and your knees are weak and you're growing weary and faint-hearted. And we have to express that to God. We have to tell him all of the hard but then we have to take that next step to, to let him speak into it, to let him give us strength to endure it. We need the reminder to keep looking up to Jesus. And we need the reminder that by faith, we run the race set before us. Jesus is called the founder and perfecter of our faith in verse 2. 
And that's the truth about Jesus that I've decided that I'm really going to try to intentionally focus on. Um, he is the founder and perfecter of my faith. When I stop and think about it, you know, you can find the truth about Jesus that particularly speaks to you. But that's the one that is like a salve for my soul. That's the one that if I stop and think about it, it's almost like my toes are in the beach, the sand, and the ocean is blowing. It's for my soul. That's the one that he is my author, the author of my faith. He is the perfecter of my faith. If I need to live my life by faith, then I can look to him. If I need to live the next 10 minutes by faith, then I can stop and look to him. By faith, you can run the race that God has set before you. And Jesus can work that faith in you. You don't have to conjure it up yourself. He gives it. It's his gift. It's his His love. It's his joy to give us faith when we look to him. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is an amazing power that I have not been utilizing that we have to decide the power to decide something to think about. That I can tell myself to stop thinking about that and start thinking about you. To be able to be in the middle of a hard situation and to stop and look to Jesus. Help us where we are stuck. Help us where we are weak. Bring us healing. Give us faith. Perfect our faith. Lift our eyes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.